We're rolling. Welcome to the House Dudes Podcast, where we invite you to follow us on our journey towards financial freedom using the power of real estate. I'm Jack Haas. And I'm Josh Koth. Here at House Dudes, we believe in a couple key principles. Number one, the best way to retain information is by teaching it to others. And number two, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're not competitors, we're a community. So let's get into some real estate investing. Well, we have Aaron Fragnito on the line. And Aaron, I warned you, this is, I'm going to throw it right over to you right off the bat. So why don't you introduce yourself? And I really appreciate you joining us this week. Absolutely, Jack. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, no problem. I love talking about my business. Uh, So we buy an apartment building every three to four months here in New Jersey. Uh, My job is to raise capital, work with high net worth individuals and all types of individuals, anyone uh, with even lower amounts of investment as well. And uh, we also have a residential division and uh, we fix and flip properties. We wholesale properties. So we're pretty active here. We only invest in North Jersey. Yeah. So that's first question right off the bat is because, you know, a lot of people, especially on the East and the West coasts, um, struggle with making those numbers work. So tell us a little bit about that process and how you've uh, found your niche there. Sure. Well, you know, it really helps know this market like the back of your hand. We've um, Seth Martinez, my business partner and I have been uh, buying and selling real estate here and analyzing buildings for almost 10 years and uh, it is a hard market. The hardest part of our job is finding a good deal. Uh, you know, we'll look at two, four, 300 or 400 apartment buildings to buy one. So most mm-hmm. of it's overpriced. The taxes are high, um, but rents are high as well. Rental demand is through the roof. Uh, resale demand, uh, lending demand, right? So people do want to get invested into this market, but finding a good deal is super hard. The market's very saturated. Uh, people will say, I got your letter and 10 others and you're just the first one I happen to call, you know, so we're up against a lot of uh, tough things. Normal things like uh, internet advertising does not work in these hyper competitive markets to find good deals. You've really got to have your ear to the ground. Um, and then just knowing how to work with the rent control and the, the local ordinances, you know, the laws change for rent control uh, one town over. So mm-hmm. it's really crazy how, how much that can completely change your value-add strategy and your long-term plans for a property. Sure. So, you know, you just said something that I think is really interesting. And, and one of our mantras is that persistent, consistent behavior. Um, and it was really interesting that you say, and it's a great reminder that you review like a hundred properties to find that one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that low hanging fruit that a lot of people think it is. No, it's it's not low hanging at all. In fact, uh, I mean, there were low hanging deals. I've probably done 300 transactions in my lifetime. So there were those few stories that are super cool and we did really well on. But for the most part, right now, especially, um, I will spend $15,000 on direct mail marketing to find one cheap apartment building in North Jersey, mm-hmm. um, sometimes more. And that means answering a lot of leads, looking through a lot of junk to find the good stuff. Um, so I understand why people go to Kentucky or North Carolina or Buffalo or Texas to find a, a good deal. You know, I get that. But I've also hired outside management companies hours away, and they ended up stealing money from me. I had to take them to court. So after that experience, uh, you know, we manage everything in-house and we control our assets and, and we buy close to home here. Right. So you, you said that uh, you spend 15000 probably to find that one apartment building. Is that 
typically your average and as have you found that direct mail is your best approach? Um, yes, direct mail is probably our best source of discounted apartment buildings. Uh, residential is a little different, but as far as commercial apartment buildings go, um, direct mail is great, but also just our network of realtors and brokers and uh, wholesalers that we work with here. They know we're good buyers. They know we close quickly. We have the capital. We're people's capital group. So ideally, we should have the capital to close very quickly on your, your real estate. So, you know, wholesalers and brokers call us up first. You know, one of the best deals I just bought this June was a 14 unit in Berkeley Heights down the street here. And we got it for a fraction of a price. And the broker actually owned the real estate. And he called us up. He said, I know you guys. I like you guys. We actually called them, him asking, you know, if you have any pocket listings. He said, well, I'm about to list my own building. And he said, before you list it, let us run down there and make an offer. We did. And we got the property for about uh, $250,000 below market value. Well, that's awesome. It, it, it is really amazing how uh, letting everybody know what you do really generates those opportunities. Some of the best ones we've experienced have all been uh, referral based or, or just happenstance, just, just mentioning it to people or, or following up with, with your team or your network. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, t let's talk about your fix and flip side of things. Like how do you find typically find those properties? Well, the fix and flip is a number of different uh, objectives we have there. So we'll do direct mail marketing. We'll do four different share sale auctions every week. So my partner, Seth Martinez, he's more in charge of operations. He'll go to four different counties in a week and we'll cycle about a million dollars in a given time through these share sale auctions to put down as deposits and we'll get the property under contract and we'll assign the bid to another investor. So we don't even close on the real estate. We just wholesale the real estate. We get it under contract at share sale auction. We put up our 20%. We call up our list of buyers. We email it out. We have a great list of buyers here in Jersey. We've been doing a number of years mm -hmm. and uh, we just flip the contract. We assign the contract to that uh, buyer. That's called a wholesale, right? So we've done many of that. Did about 60 wholesales last year i'd say about two-thirds were auction properties um but that gold mine has been drying up and like anything in real estate it's cyclical so uh you know right. here we are this year uh putting the same amount of resources towards it but we'll probably do like uh half of what we did last year wholesaling sure so what are you what are you doing to make up for that you know you said it's a gold mine you got to shift your focus right yeah, yeah, man. We've read the writing on the wall for some time now with wholesaling fix and flips. You know, we did very well through, you know, 2014 to 2018 was kind of a good time for that. It's gotten really hard to find a good deal now in the residential market. Um, so we really doubled down on our commercial growth. Uh, we find a lot of opportunity here for mismanaged apartment buildings, worn out landlords, you know, the baby boomers that bought properties and they've owned them now for 20 or 30 years and they they paid mm -hmm. off the mortgage and they're ready to retire down to Florida. So we do very specific direct mail advertising to those types of individuals. And um, we are in touch with just dozens and dozens of, of landlords. And ideally uh, at, at some point or another, they agree to sell us the property at discounted price. And, you know, a lot of them also haven't raised the rents in years, haven't figured out different ways to make income on the property. Maybe their expenses are out of control. Um, so we work on all those factors and we uh, get more cash flow out of the building and re refinance it over time. So let's, let's talk a little bit about some of that then. Like you you, you uh, take on these basically distressed or, or they need some sort of attention. What are some of the 
more common things or mistakes that you've run into that you can uh, add or change to, to turn the property around? <clears throat> sure. Well, first and foremost, generally uh, landlords might forget to raise rent for about 10 years. And here in North Jersey, rent goes up like minimum 5% a year. So, um, you know, you got to watch out for rent control and things like that. But we buy in high demand areas where a lot of the changes are happening and improvements in home values. And that um, allows for rent to go up. So, we spruce up these units. We work out cash for keys with some of the tenants. We also improve the building overall, though. You can't just walk into a building and be like, hey, new sheriff in town, rents are going to go uh, double. You know, you have to give, it's a give and take. So to improve the units, you improve the common area, you remove the drug dealers, you make it a family-friendly place where people are proud to live and feel safe and, and it's quiet and comfortable and it smells nice. And for that reason, you know, we fix things that break quickly and we treat our tenants with respect and, and in turn, they'll pay more to live there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so if you give your tenants a better product and you, you know, get more rent out of the building, then that forces the value up on the building. So you create equity uh, by getting your rents higher. And uh, that's something you can control a lot more than the fix and flip business, which is at the mercy of the markets, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fix and flip thing can get pretty uh, tricky, um, especially with, uh, with the market as it is, you know, being where I'm located too. And I'm guessing New Jersey might have a similar situation as we're getting into winter. I mean, this is probably the worst time for us to, to try to sell a fix and flip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've been stuck with them, you know, over winter. I, I could, boy, I could have you, uh, I could talk about my fix and flip uh, challenges for about three hours here. I don't think we have enough time, but yeah, you know, I, I've probably flipped uh, 50 houses, fix and flip, you know, bought, fixed up, sold 50 houses on my career over the last 10 years. And we did very well, Seth and I, with lower end real estate, um, you know, resale values less than 400,000, which in North Jersey is, is lower end. Mm -hmm. And um, then we started, well, we're great at flipping lower end real estate. We're making money doing this. Why don't we do million dollar homes? So we got a million dollar flips and we use the same contractors from our inner city flips on million dollar homes. And we realized quickly that um, it's not the same ball game. So oh, we, sure. uh, you know, had some challenges with high end flips, and lost some money there and learned that, you know, your contractors do have a tendency to kind of not know their own limits and mm -hmm. you kind of have to know your contractor's limits for them, you know, so you know what to give them, what they don't, because the contractor is going to guess you to death, like, you know, many people in, in any business. So you got to be careful there. And, um, but yeah, fix and flips, you're at the mercy of the resale market. So whatever the neighbor's house is selling for is what your house is selling for. You know, the comparable sales, a three bed, two bath colonial sells for what the three bed, two bath colonial down the street is selling for. And I don't like that because I can't control what my real estate is going to be worth so much when I'm done fixing it up. You know, obviously mm -hmm. you can put more money into it and make it nicer and that improves the value. Um, but that costs money, you know, um, and by the time, you're done renovating it the market might not be where the market is you know especially since we've had a good run for 10 years or so uh, so i really like commercial real estate more uh, i can control my real estate values more on commercial real estate because mm -hmm. commercial real estate is appraised based on the income approach appraisal value which is simply how much net cash flow does the property make Right. You know, so if you buy a building and the net cash flow at the end of the year is $20,000, but now you've owned it for five years and the net cash flow at the end of the year is, is $50,000, it's worth a lot more money. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's what I like about my commercial buildings over my residential. 
So you're going at a pretty good clip. I mean, you're syndicating at least one of these commercial properties on, on a quarterly basis. Is that right? We try to. Uh, it's quite an ambitious goal. Uh, you know, really, it's more like um, we bought one in January. We did one in June. And now we're trying to wrap one up, uh, you know, in the year here. So three a year is pretty hot for a syndication company. You know, a lot of syndication companies do one a year. You know, they're, they're big. So uh, we do small syndications. Um, you know, that's why beginners really like uh, what my story is because if you go to most syndicators they're like yeah I'm raising 20 million dollars and I'm buying a hundred million dollar building and da 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 and uh, it, as a new as a beginner you're like well how, how's that even attainable um, mm -hmm. and I remember talking to SEC attorneys and they said if you don't have uh, you know fifty thousand dollars to throw away on a PPM then you shouldn't even be talking about starting a real estate fund and for years, I thought that was the case. Um, but then I figured out how to start a real estate syndication with um, about $2,000 in setup costs instead of ten dollars or $20,000 or $30,000 like some other attorneys have told me. And uh, so I, I also started to raise capital on you know, just a smaller scale for smaller buildings. We bought a six family in January. I put together or 165,000 from one passive investor and that was a good syndication. And, and that's a very attainable syndication level you know mm -hmm. where the building's doing very well it's making good cash flow um you know is it better to own 60 units than a six unit sure but it doesn't hurt starting with a six unit and you can syndicate which is a syndication is when you pool together capital from one to uh, it could be up to 100 investors depending on the type of fund you have uh really I, I start funds that limit me to 30 investors uh but i have two different small funds and um i start a small fund for each acquisition uh, and it's really, you know, a quite affordable, manageable way to run a small syndication. And uh, you can syndicate small buildings if it is possible. Sure. Do you have a recommendation then? Should people talk to you on how to set up these type of syndications? And because you're right, I mean, I, I understand syndications can get fairly costly. I mean, if you found a way to do it on a, on a cheaper scale, I mean, it might be more beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if, if you're beginning completely young, you could certainly could talk to me. Um, I tend to try to uh, connect more with individuals who are looking to put their capital to work in these apartment buildings that we're syndicating. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if you're completely getting started and you have some questions, I, I don't mind uh, answering them. I'm, I'm an open book. Um, but I really focus more on just connecting with people that are saying, wow, you know, I like what you guys are doing. I like the idea of earning double digit cash and cash returns and owning a piece of the building and getting the tax flow and the cash, uh, the cash flow, the tax write-offs and, and uh, not having to do anything, you know, and that's, that's primarily who I'm connecting with in my day-to-day -day activities. Um, but yeah, getting started, you know, don't listen to the guys that say, oh, you know, if you're not putting together, you know, $10 million syndication, then you know, you're, you're not, you can't do a syndication. Um, that's not true. You know, you can file with the SEC for $1,200 if your investors are all in the same state here in New Jersey. So, you know, I remember an attorney telling me if I didn't have $50,000, I shouldn't be thinking about starting a real estate syndicate. You know, he was way off. Yeah, it sounds that way. So I'm always, I'm always curious about a little case studies here. So can you give us some examples? Like, give me, give me uh, an example of uh, a deal that uh, didn't work out your way, and then we'll go on the positive side. Give me, give me an example of a home run. Sure. Uh, boy, home run. I mean, 
well, let's talk about this six unit we just bought and that I was talking about. I mean, that's a great example of a building where we started looking at it and on paper it made like four to $500 a month and it's a six family property. So it's like just scooting by covering its costs basically. Mm -hmm. And our investor who's been investing with us for years um, basically said, Hey guys, you know, I, I trust you. I've been working with this for years. You, you always under promise and over deliver, but are you sure about this one? It's not making a lot of money. And we said, yes, you know, uh, here's the value add potential with it. Here's the five or six things we're going to do to turn over the property and, and get it going from 500 a month to 2000 a month, uh, in net positive cash flow. And, um, you know, and then we went through the, the motions with me and understood what, what the plan was. Um, so, you know, when you look at a building on paper, uh, you got to recognize that the value of the value add, what's, you know, are the rents in this case, they were 30% below market value for a number of the tenants. Um, the units were just kind of bad, you know, they weren't in bad shape. They were just very outdated, like mm -hmm. completely outdated units and, but everything worked fine. Everything looked fine. Everything, everything was operational. Um, so it was a matter of negotiating certain cash for keys. So with two of the tenants, actually three of the tenants, we worked out of cash for keys where they were paying about seven fifty a month. And we offered them about $2,000 to move out and they were happy to move out because the, the building, you know, a lot of times you buy a mismanaged building. It's been mismanaged for years. And the tenants are kind of ready to leave and they, here's an opportunity, some, some money to help them move where they get their security deposit back. And it's, it's really a nice situation for the tenant who was planning on moving anyway. So three of the tenants accepted a cash for keys and it was about $2,000 payment to move out. And then we put another six or 7,000 into the unit to, to spruce it up. Mm -hmm. And we turned around and rented those units for about 1,300. Or as we went from uh, 750 and 850 to 1300 for three of the units. And then uh, two more of the units, we negotiated a partial renovation. We refinished the floors in one. We updated the cabinets in another. And we got about a $100 increase per month in those units. And then one of the tenants uh, would only agree to a 5% minimum increase, which was what was allowed for her unit. Um, so, and that's usually how it pans out. You know, about a third to half the building are going to do what you want them to do, work with you on a cash for keys. About a third of the building is going to kind of meet you in the middle and you're going to spruce up the unit a bit and then they're going to improve the rent a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then a third are, are going to play hardball and you're going to have to just uh, work with the, whatever the allowable rent increase is in that area. And you know, when, when they call you and want this done and that done and this, you know, and well, listen, if you don't agree with any rent increases, then I'm not going to focus on giving you, you know, the best unit in, in the building. Does your, do your appliances work? Does the hot water work? Does the heat work? Great. Then I know what to tell you. If you want brand new kitchens and baths, we're going to have to renegotiate a rental amount, you know, so, mm -hmm. um, and that, that's a reasonable conversation to have with your uh with your tenants so sure. um in that building we got the rent roll up from 500 to 2000 a month and uh you know just a phenomenal cash flow now the building's worth a lot more than we bought it for um we bought it for 450 it appraised at 540 the day of mm -hmm. day before closing so so again we got 90 grand off from day one we really stole the real estate to the start and uh just overall going to be a very phenomenal investment for our uh, passive investor sure so when you're going in and talking to these tenants about, uh, you know, basically saying, well, unless we do a rent increase, we can't really do all of this, this additional uh, updates to your apartment. How do those conversations typically go? I mean, it, it, is it uh, usually a hard pill to swallow or is it something that they kind of accept? And 
And uh, at that point, do it you even the take the opportunity to do a cash for keys or something? Is that like a? Yeah, yeah. We always start with the cash. Well, it depends. Like each tenant is different, right? So, like, let's say we go into a building and a third of the tenants are paying eleven hundred a month, and I know I could get about thirteen hundred for their unit. I'm not going to go through the whole rigmarole, the cash for keys and renovating the unit and moving them out, moving them, you know, because I'm just going to say, listen, you know, what's, what's uh, disappointing you about your unit. Um, now there are certain things we have to fix, right? You have to have working appliances, heat, hot water and electric. But if they say, you know, uh, my, um, my cabinets are old. I just want those fancy new cabinets I saw in the magazine and, you know, Okay, well, fine, or my floors are a little worn and I want, you know, fresh, freshly done floors. Okay, it's a reasonable, you know, wear and tear on the building. Um, and we'll try to give them those updated items in exchange for a small increase. Um, but, you know, it, it depends on what the tenant's paying. If they're paying $750 a month and I know I can get $1,300, then the conversation's different. It's, uh, he, you know, here's the cash for keys offer. Oh, you don't like a thousand? How does two thousand sound? Okay, how about three? How about four? So you know, we have our internal numbers. We know what we'll pay, and usually we'll go up to about three or four thousand um, mm -hmm. on a unit. And uh, so it, it, every conversation is different, and you do have certain tenants that say, "Absolutely not. Um, I'm not going to, you know, allow any uh, increase in rent." And uh, and usually those are the same tenants that are demanding this and that, you know, so it's, 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 they can be difficult tenants. And, you know, there are other tenants that, you know, will say absolutely not, by the way, the last landlord let me skip a month in rent and I'm going to start doing that. And those tenants end up in evictions. And mm -hmm. that's another way to turn over a unit that's less favorable. I don't want to evict tenants. Uh, tenants don't want to be evicted, but that is part of repositioning apartment buildings because you do buy buildings that have been mismanaged. And that's what we look for. And the landlord did let them skip a month for about five years. So they're pretty used to skipping a month and mm -hmm. that's not going to fly with people's capital group. Right. Right. So you, since you've been doing this for like 10 years, give me, give me a couple examples of some lessons learned, like uh, been there, done that. Don't want to do it again. Oh boy. Well, uh, you know, no, like the first lesson I learned on high end flips, uh, know your contractor's limitations, even when they tell you they are, can do something, you got to know their limitations. Um, and, uh, trust, but verify, right? I mean, I had a management company that would meet tenants, of the property, collect the first month's rent, collect the security deposit, sign a fake lease, pocket the money and then meet three or four more people there in the same day, lease the same unit out to those people run off with all the money. Uh, you know, so wow. it was just crazy. Yeah. So that was, you know, a pretty reputable management company. I, I hired another one that just over promised and under delivered a very nationally known reputable management company, you know, their name, I won't say it, but you know, and at the end of the day, we developed our own by necessity. Uh, I was, you know, we, we said, boy, if we switch management companies a third time, our tenants are going to lose faith in us. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's about five years ago, we developed our own management company. By the way, I did sue the management company I was stealing from me and I won. So that was the whole thing. And, and it, you know, and those, again, back to syndicators who say, I'm going to put together a bunch of capital for my friends and family and everyone in my network and everyone who trusts me and likes me. And I'm going to put together a million bucks and buy a building in, in uh, you know, Arkansas or something because uh, the job growth there is phenomenal. I get it. I understand those numbers. I understand the statistics. I understand the pitch and many people have done well with that.
But after hiring a management company to, in fact, one that overpromised and underdelivered, another one that just robbed us um, and lied to us, um, I, I am really not of the uh, opinion that it's, it's good to just raise money and hope a management company does their job right. Uh, with other people's money. That's a risky model, but that's a very common syndication model. And ours is, is quite different. You know? mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, we're closing in on, on our time here, but I always ask what, uh, mm -hmm. if there was a question that you wish we would have covered or asked here today. Sure. Um, well, I, uh, yeah, I think we went over a good amount of things. Um, you know, we talked about share sale auctions. We talked about repositioning apartment buildings. Um, you know, the way investors can get in touch with us is peoplescapitalgroup.com. Uh, we buy a new building, like I said, every, every four to six months. So we're very active and we're really a good fit for investors that are getting started and say, man, I, have, I only have $30,000. I can't really go buy a building or flip a house. It's, it's too tight. I'm, I'm inexperienced. So we do something called learn and earn where we give our documents away, we give our spreadsheets, our, our offering memorandums, our uh, offering contracts, and all the documents we use to analyze and offer buildings. So if you're new and you're getting started in real estate and you don't have a bunch of money to invest, but you do have around 30 to 50,000 to put to work, then we do something called the Learn and Earn Program, where it doesn't cost our investors anything. If they're investing in a building with us, we're going to give them all these documents and spreadsheets and editable forms so they can analyze buildings and make offers on buildings. And it's something we used to sell for like 2000 bucks, but we just give it to our investors that are curious and hungry for that. And, and that's called learn and earn. So I know you're saying your, your listeners are a lot of uh, beginners, which is great. We all started somewhere and beginners tend to say, well, I don't really have a whole ton of capital to get started or experience. So with us, they can get started with a smaller amount of capital all the documents and the learn and earn is free and they can do whatever they want with them. Um, but then they're investing in the building. And next time they go to a real estate networking event, they can say, Hey, I own part of a 20 unit building, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a great line to say at your next real estate networking event, you're going to get a lot more positive responses with that. So, um, you know, check out peoplescapitalgroup.com and that's where you can apply to learn more and see if you qualify for an upcoming investment. And uh, that's peoplescapitalgroup.com. Sure. Is there any other uh, way they could get a hold of you, follow you on like Facebook, Twitter? I know you have a podcast that you're thinking about starting. Yeah, Maybe we're starting I outed a podcast. You there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. We're, we're starting a podcast. I'm currently interviewing current and past investors for the podcast. And uh, that's going to be launching pretty soon. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called People's Capital Group. And we have events here at our office in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. So if you're local to New Jersey, you live in New Jersey, New York, PA, you can come to one of our events here on uh, the second Tuesday of the month. We have webinars as well on our real estate network. So I have New Jersey Real Estate Network on meetup.com. That's our our meetup group and there's over 3000 members in it. So we have webinars on there like three times a month, live webinars. Um, so that's a great way for people to connect with us and kind of learn from us and, and see our business and work. Um, but also our, our office number here is 908-464-0400. Well, I can't ask, thank you enough again, Aaron, for joining us this week. This is, this is very insightful and, and uh, I'm sure uh, people will be reaching out. Uh, and hope we can do this again sometime. Absolutely, Jack. I'm, I'm open book here. If you have any questions, let me know. And uh, looking forward to when the podcast comes out. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon.
We've put a lot of effort into providing useful content, and if you've found value in the show and have any interest in supporting us with a small donation, head over to patreon.com slash housedudes. And if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us an email at info at housedudes.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at housedudes. And if you like what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps other investors out there find the show. And remember... Massive positive impact requires massive positive action. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by housedudes.com. Do you have time to actively manage flipping and rentals yourself? If so, go for it. If you live in a market that won't cash flow or don't have the time to do all the work, are you just out of luck? If there was a way to participate more passively, would that appeal to you? I'm sure you have questions about how the process works and what to do next. If that's the case, fill out the form on housedudes.com slash investors, and we'll reach out to see if you are a good fit for our business. This is first come, first serve, and we will have to stop taking applications when our goals are met. See you at housedudes.com slash investors. a man what to do with his money but if you ain't investing in property then you're dumber than a dummy i'm not dumb i'm smart well buy property that's my advice